This evening, I'm going to share a few reflections on faith and old age. And I thought that would be quite appropriate this week because we've all been thinking about the Queen's faith in her old age, haven't we? Um, My late husband used to do a lot of public speaking, and he always used to say, however serious the subject, you must always start by making them laugh. So that's what I'm going to try and do. And I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a story that illustrates how life changes as we get older. There was a group of 20-year-old friends, and they decided it would be fun to meet each other every decade for dinner. They spend ages discussing where to go for the first time, and they agree it should be the Duke of Wellington Grill because the waitresses are gorgeous and they serve amazing cocktails. Ten years later, at 30 years of age, they meet again and they discuss where they should go for dinner. Once again, they agree it should be the Duke of Wellington Grill because it's family-friendly and there are special kids' meals and it has a supervised children's play area. Ten years later, at 40 years of age, they meet again, and they discuss where they should go for dinner. And finally, they agree it should be the Duke of Wellington's Grill, because the food is excellent and the wine list is extensive. Ten years later, at 50 years of age, they meet again, and they discuss where they should meet for dinner. They all agree the Duke of Wellington Grill because they can eat in peace and quiet, and the restaurant is smoke-free, and the staff are so deferential. Ten years later, at 60 years of age, they meet again and they discuss where to go for dinner. And finally, after much discussion, it's agreed it should be the Duke of Wellington Grill, because there's a special concessions menu for seniors. It's suitable for those with dietary restrictions. And they even serve half-price small portions. (laughs) Ten years later, at 70 years of age, they meet again and they discuss where to eat. And they agree on the Duke of Wellington Grill because the restaurant is wheelchair accessible and they have a lift. Ten years later, at 80 years of age, a limited number of them want to meet again they discuss where to go. And one of them suggests the Duke of Wellington Grill. They all agree it would be great to try it because they've never been there and it would be nice to go somewhere new. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for you younger ones that heard that story, (laughs) I can assure you it's scarily true. (laughs) So there's a few facts about... um, old age and uh, the church. The church is aging faster than society as a whole due to the drop in numbers of young people attending. In 2000, the over 65s accounted for 25% of congregation members, and this has steadily grown, so that by 2030, it's predicted that 45% of churchgoers will be over 65. And similar to society as a whole, 
The over 85 age group is the fastest growing, accounting for 5% of the over 65s at the start of the millennium, and it's predicted to rise to 19% by 2030. So how should the church respond to this aging congregation? The Bible tells us that the church should be a good place to grow old in. Can we have the first slide? Thank you. This is Zechariah from the messenger. Old men and women will come back to Jerusalem, sit on benches on the streets and spin tails, move around safely with their canes, a good city to grow old in. But the next verse is interesting as well. Boys and girls will fill the public parks, laughing and playing, a good city to grow up in. Jerusalem is often seen to represent the church, suggesting that the church should be a good place to grow up in and a good place to grow old in. <clears throat> in recent years, there's been much needed focus on the church being a good place to grow up in, on youth and children's ministries. But it's also vital that we consider what it means for the church to be a place to grow old in. And it raises an important question. What do we mean by old? When is somebody old? 65? 85? 95? I rather like the answer, whatever age I reach, old age is always 10 years older than me. That's me. An interesting facet of the culture of old age in our society is that at every stage of life, some seem older or younger than others that are the same age as them. But only in life's last chapter do these differences get enormous. We accept a 71-year-old using a cane or becoming confused and forgetful just as easily as we accept a 71-year-old running to be president. Or a better illustration today could be we accept a 96-year-old being bedbound in a care home as easily as we accept a 96-year-old still fulfilling all her duties as our queen. But rather than thinking numerically in this way, it's helpful to consider growing older in terms of the third and fourth ages of life. The third age is the period post-retirement where individuals are physically and cognitively well and able to enjoy an active life. In contrast, the fourth age is where frailty increases and physical and cognitive decline reduces capacity to live actively and independently. In this framework, it's quite possible to think of a 96-year-old as our late queen in the third age, while someone who's only 65 but now housebound might be considered the fourth age. It seems that in our modern Western world, the oldest people are often the unseen generation. Even in Christian circles, the young are often viewed as the church of today, and the oldest can be marginalized. Despite the media often reflecting negatively to aging, though, the aging process does not have to condemn us to suffering and loneliness and dependency. It is possible to stay happy and grow old gracefully. When the third and fourth ages were young, society was still reflecting the culture of Christendom. 
the core values of this group could be said to have largely been molded because where church attendance carried cultural overtones and expectation, everybody went to church. It was culturally appropriate to be married in church, have babies christened and send children to Sunday school. Many attended church regularly when they were young, but according to the statistics, the majority of them have now turned their backs on the church. Now this may be true. In this older group that I meet, I notice that many of them still hold on to remnants of faith and indeed are quite spiritual in their thinking. How we view older people will determine whether the church is a good place to grow old in. It can be tempting to view older people as of less value than the younger ones because we think they're not able to contribute much, as if our value is based on what we do or what we give. When the frailty of the fourth age limits their ability to live actively and independently, though, does this mean they are of less value? When they lose their cognition or their independence, are they somehow less of a person? Do they lose their worth? Too often, society associates worth and value with productivity. And I think there's a danger of this attitude slipping into the church, too. We so love people who will fill the slots on the rotors, don't we? More than that, I've heard people espousing the value of older people with the fact they have so much to give. Indeed, they do, but that isn't where their value lies. In fact, across every age group, there's a danger of valuing people for what they can contribute rather than who they are. Could we have the next slide, Chris, please? The Bible gives us four very different elements of what it means to be human, to be a person. So let's consider not only how our value is derived from these, but these never change. It doesn't matter how old you come, these still remain true. As human beings, we are dependent, we are created in God's image, we are loved, we are relational. So let's look at we are dependent. John Stott, famous Christian theologian, fell over and fractured his hip in his 80s, leading to a season of ill health when he was dependent on others. And reflecting on that time, he wrote this. We come into this world totally dependent on the love, care, and protection of others. We go through a phase of life when others are totally dependent on us. Most of us will leave this world totally dependent on the love and care of others again. This is not an evil, destructive reality. This is part of the design. It's part of the physical nature that God has given us. I sometimes hear old people, including Christians, say, I don't want to be a burden. I'm happy to carry on living so long as I look after myself, but as soon as I become a burden, I would rather die. But this is wrong. We are designed to be a burden. You are designed to be a burden to me. And I am designed to be a burden to you. And the life of the local church family should be one of mutual burdensomeness, if that's a word. Paul teaches us this in the letter to the Galatians. Carry each other's burdens, and in that way you fulfill the law of Christ. 
Jesus modeled this dependence with his disciples. When he sent out the 12, he told them to take nothing with them for the journey. I know that this means they would be dependent on God, but I believe he's putting them in a position where they will also be dependent on others. They were given instructions to search for a worthy person and stay in their house. Dependence on others is part of God's design for our lives. And then the second one, we are created in God's image. We know from the creation narratives in Genesis that God created mankind in his own image and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We're made in his image, the only part of creation specifically made in his likeness. That's why Jesus could say, whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, you did it to me. And our identity flows from this unique privilege to bear his image. When we submit our lives to Jesus, we become sons and daughters of the King of Kings, adopted into his family. I am a daughter of the King of Kings. I'm a princess. You too, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the King. And that's an identity built on a solid foundation and it's never going to change, however old you get. A frail person with dementia who has submitted their life to Jesus is still a son or daughter of the king. No one's identity is defined by what they can do or offer of value. And of course, those who don't know Jesus yet are sons and daughters in waiting. God's desire is that they too will be adopted into his family. Third, we are loved. The Apostle John, in his advanced years, reflecting on the incredible things he had seen and heard and experienced, kept coming back to God's love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If we really want a ministry amongst older people, then we need to know how loved we are so that God's unconditional love can overflow from us to others. When we really know how loved we are, we will be empowered to change the world. We're not loved for what we've done, haven't done, can do, can't do. We are loved, full stop. He doesn't love us because we do things for him. He simply loves us. And that applies to those in the third and fourth ages of life, equally to the young who are younger and able to carry out acts of service. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, and perhaps here we could include frailty and dementia, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the last point in this section, we are relational. Human beings are created for relationship. The second chapter of the Bible tells us that it's not good for man to be alone. We are created for relationship with God and with others. We are created to love and be loved. 
We're not created to be alone. Loneliness can affect anyone at any stage of life, but people in the fourth age are particularly at risk as they may experience so much loss of loved ones, mobility, and health. Not only can they potentially have a smaller circle of meaningful relationships, they may also lack the ability to get out and about and meet people. And if they're experiencing hearing loss or visual impairment, even vintage modes of communication, such as phone calls and letter writing, can be a challenge. A recent study revealed that 48% of the older people say their TV is their main company. So as human beings, we are dependent, we are created in the image of God, we are loved, and we are relational. All these truths remain constant throughout our entire lives. They are who God has created us to be. Viewing and valuing older people in the way God does distinguishes us in the church from the rest of the world. And we have the motivation to action to keep them fully involved, needed, and loved. Some years ago, I used to work as a Christian counsellor. And the clients that I had ranged in age from 16 to 86. And listening to them helped me realise that whatever our age, young or old, we continue to have the same hopes, feelings and emotions throughout our lives, the same unchanged core. Can we have the next slide, please? And a beautiful expression of the expansion of this core in old age was written by Basho, a 17th century Japanese poet. Between our two lives, there is also the life of the cherry blossom. Basho believed that the essence of our true nature was found at the meeting of our two lives, our exterior physical life and our interior spiritual world and that the cherry blossom symbolized that essence. In old age, however much our bodies age and wither externally, in our internal spiritual life, we have the opportunity to become and radiate the life of the cherry blossom. Next slide, please. And Marie de Hennessel, one of my favorite writers, echoes this idea. Immense joy lies in store for those whose exterior body may be in ruins, but whose interior body is more vibrant and alive than ever. And I love that picture too, don't you? It just shows it all, doesn't it? And the next slide, please. Doris Lessing, another writer that I like very much, wrote this. The young do not know, it is hidden from them, that the flesh withers around an unchanged core. The old share with each other ironies seen by each other, but not by the young, whose antics they watch, smiling and remembering. And the next one. And the fifth, of course, from St. Paul. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. Several years ago, I collected the opinions of the elderly members of my church in North Devon for a church project that we were doing on church membership. 
And I still got them on my computer, and I thought, oh, that'd be brilliant to read them to you tonight. There's only just a few, and I'm going to share them with you now. The first one is from a 90-year-old. And she said, the best thing about being old is the freedom to do whatever I like. It's just a bit boring that I get tired so quickly these days. I know I'm old now, but I don't feel it inside. I feel just the same as I've always been. I'm content with my life because I feel so blessed to live in this beautiful place. And this one from an 87-year-old. The best thing about old age is feeling so contented and not caring one jot what others think of me. Actually, I don't feel old at all, really. I still feel quite young. And from a 91-year-old gentleman. Old age brings more time for reflection and perhaps more perception now. When I was young, I started life feeling I was unlovable. But now I'm old, my awareness of being loved by my family, by others, and by God has grown. 86-year-old. I start every day quietly with my Bible. As I grow older, God seems to speak to me through his word in a new way. A 92-year-old. Don't worry if you have doubts. It's good to keep questioning. Opening up your thinking keeps you young. And finally, an 88-year-old. I'm so glad that in later life I discovered God. Oh, but I wish I'd met him when I was young and troubled. I would say to anyone who doubts God, give God a chance. Just go to church for six months. Meet the other believers. Ask him to show himself to you, and he will. And with Her Majesty so much in her thoughts, I've got just two or three royal thoughts for you. So if we could have the next slide, please. Now, you're going to love this quote. This is one of my favorites of the whole evening. And it's from, of course, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. And she was speaking to the photographer that was commissioned to take her this portrait. Please don't retouch my wrinkles in this photograph. I would not want it to be thought I'd lived for all these years without having anything to show for it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And the next one, please. This is Princess Beatrice. And in 2017, she was writing about her grandmother. I find my grandmother, the Queen, inspiring every day because her overwhelming sense of duty is linked with an overwhelming curiosity. Every day, she's curious to learn something new, to do something new. She goes out into the community with a genuine curiosity as to how she can be a force for good in the world. <clears throat> and the next one. Now, just before I came out tonight, I was um, just looking through my notes and um, thinking about what to say about the Queen. And Archbishop, oh, I can't remember which one, one of the archbishops, was um, talking about her, and um, they interviewed the um, minister at Cathy Church, where she goes in Balmoral. And they were saying how she knew nearly all the Psalms off by heart. I hadn't heard that before. And that in her darkest moments, she, would li she literally would read the, read the Psalms or say the Psalms to herself. I thought it was lovely to know. I didn't know that. 
And so the, the little um, phrase that I've chosen from her came, it's the latest one I could find, so it was her Christmas message last year. It's quite just a couple of simple sentences, but it actually says it all about her faith, really. She said, The simplicity of the Christmas story that makes it so universally appealing. Simple happenings that formed the starting point of the life of Jesus. A man <coughs> whose teachings have been handed down from generation to generation, and they have been the bedrock of my life and my faith. His birth marked a new beginning for us all. So what is our goal or vision for a ministry for us all that truly includes our third and fourth ages? Next, last slide, please. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I have come to give life, life in all its fullness. So what are the hallmarks of life in all its fullness? I've just been reading a great book by Tina English called A Great Place to Grow Old. And she suggests there are three elements that come to mind. The first is peace. It's so much more than the absence of conflict. The Hebrew concept of peace, shalom, derives from a, wo a word associated with wholeness and completeness, all-round well-being and prosperity and security. Jesus, the Prince of Shalom, tells his disciples that that peace is found in him and is part of the fullness of life that God intends for us. And he's given us a precious promise to hold on to as we age. And this is my very favorite Bible verse. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. And secondly, purpose. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And old age and frailty don't change that purpose, though it may be expressed in different ways as we experience the limitations of growing into the fourth age ourselves. In the Psalms it says, even in old age, they will still produce fruit and remain vital and green. And lastly, pleasure. Not only are we meant to enjoy God forever, we are created to experience pleasure from all the gifts and that he generously gives to us. His gifts of friendship and love and music and nature and food and knowledge all bring us joy. And finally, I'm going to quote from Billy Graham about pleasure. He wrote this when he was 94 years old. Life is seldom easy as we grow older, but old age has its special joys, the joy of time with family and friends, the joy of freedom from responsibilities we once had, the joy of savoring the little things we once overlooked. But most of all, as we learn to trust every day into his hands, the golden years can be a time of growing closer to Jesus, and that is life's greatest joy. Amen. Amen. And I wonder if, in closing, you would like to pray with me. I have a very short prayer, which is written um, in the Hebridean prayers of the Northumbrian community. And they title it, An Old Man's Prayer. So shall we pray? Dear God, 
Even though the day be laden and my task be dreary, even though my strength be small, a song keeps singing in my heart, for I know that I am thine. I am part of thee. Thou art kin to me, and all my times are in thy hand. Amen. Amen.